And so this morning, kind of as we transition into the word this morning, I just want to stay in this moment of reverence and stay standing as we read our scriptures this morning. And just listen to this before we even kind of get into it this morning. This is the birth of Jesus Christ from Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And it says this, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. I think some of us in this place this morning just need to hear kind of what the angel said to Joseph. Fear not in this season. Don't be afraid in this season because Jesus came to save the people from his sins. And his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us, which means that whatever you're walking through this morning, whatever you're facing, whatever you're fearing, whatever is competing for your attention, distracting you in this season, God is with you. It's his name. It's who he is. It's not something he does. He doesn't just draw near to us. It is his nature. It is his name that he is with us. Can we celebrate that this morning? And then you can be seated today. And God, we just ask that you would continue to speak to us through your word this morning, God, that you would continue to open our ears to hear what it is that you want to say today, God. I pray that you would help me to say what you want to be said. God, that we would hear what needs to be heard. God, we trust in your word. We trust that when we open your word, when we read your word, when we listen to your word, God, that we can't help but be changed by it. We thank you, God, for who you are. God, we've been singing about who you are this morning. We thank you for your very nature, your very character. God, we thank you that we don't have to beg you to be who you are. You are who you are. And that you're present in our lives this morning. God, we just thank you for the privilege of being able to come together like we are right now and just remember your faithfulness, celebrate your faithfulness, and worship your name. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited for all of you to be here today. We're so glad that you're with us. If, if you were with us last week, you know that we began a series called Christmas with Family. And in that series, we kind of started talking about the family of Jesus. We kind of started talking about his background, his heritage. And we're going to continue that today with the story of Joseph, with the story of Joseph. And a lot of times we get kind of lost in some of the scriptures. In fact, we, we just read kind of Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, which really gives us Joseph's perspective. Last week we read out of Luke and we saw kind of Mary's story and how the angel came to her and how she was completely overwhelmed by the news that she would be carrying the Messiah and how she faced the fact that she was overwhelmed, how she dealt with 
that overwhelming sense of fear, that overwhelming sense of being unworthy, how she dealt with all that. And this week we see kind of how Joseph handles his side of the story. And before we even get to those verses that we read, Matthew begins with about 16 verses of the genealogy of Jesus. And genealogy is just a word that basically means the family tree. And he walks us through Jesus's, uh, all of the people that came before Jesus that led to his birth. And he ends with Joseph. And sometimes when we read the scriptures, it's easy to kind of skim through the genealogies or not read them at all or question why they're even in there. But whenever you dive into those, there is always a reason that those are included in the scriptures. And when you really look at Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, there's a lot of things that you could pull out of it. You, you, could, you could see that there are women present in the genealogy, which would have been highly rare in that time to include women. You, you would see that there are people of all different socio-ethnic classes. There are people from every end of the spectrum when really what people would like to try to do in that day is they would try to kind of clean up their genealogy to make sure that the people who were included were the kind of people that they wanted to represent them. And yet in the genealogy of Jesus, we see women represented, we see poor people represented, we see kings represented. It kind of runs the, the gamut of people represented to kind of say that everyone has a place in Jesus's story, that everyone has a place in his story. But I think there's also a simpler reason why these genealogies are often included. And that's just to remind us that this is a true story that happened with real people. Because how you begin a story tells you pretty quickly what kind of story is being told. If I begin a story with once upon a time, you, you probably immediately assume that what I'm about to tell you is not true. That, that what I'm about to tell you is probably a fairy tale. It's probably something that I'm making up. That is not an intro that we use in real stories. If you asked me how I met my wife and I began with, well, once upon a time, there was a woman who lived in the land of Palatka, Florida. You would think I was insane. But if, if you asked me how I met my wife, what I would do is I would begin to tell you the people that connected us to each other. I would tell you about how our parents knew each other before we were even born. And then my family moved away and we kind of lost touch. But Kristen's cousin actually moved with us to be a part of the church that my dad was pastoring. And my dad knew the pastor that replaced him at the old church he had pastored where Kristen's family still was. And then we decided to go on a missions trip to Russia. And because Kristen's cousin was still with us, she reached out to that pastor who my dad also knew and said, hey, do some people from your church want to come? And Kristen happened to go on that trip. And we met again. Are you tracking what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. What matters is that when you, when you start to tell a story of someone's background, you begin by telling about the people involved in the story. And that is what Matthew is doing by giving us this genealogy. Because there were a lot of stories about supposed messiahs in this day, but, but they were mythology. They were made up. And so what Matthew is trying to point out is the fact that there are real people involved in this story. There are real people that you have heard of in other contexts. There are real people that you know in other arenas of life that are involved in this story. And this particular genealogy of Jesus ends with Joseph. And Joseph sometimes gets lost in the birth story of Jesus. And, and I understand why, because Mary tends to get the spotlight. And let's be honest, when it comes to a birth story, women tend to do the heavier lifting when it comes to the birth story. And so it's no wonder that they overshadow the men. 
No matter how hard I try, I am never the focus of the birth stories of any of our children. Uh, as hard as I try, when I, when I tell the story of the birth of our third child, Olivia, our most recent beautiful baby girl, she's now two years old. When, when I tell her story, I try as hard as I can to focus on the fact that that night was very, very stressful for me. <laughs> and nobody ever cares. Because on that night, we had made a plan, like all people make some sort of plan for the night that your wife goes into labor. And we knew that we needed to leave our house by the time her contractions were about five minutes apart. But we also knew that before that happened, we had to call someone and get them to our house to watch our kids so that we could go to the hospital. And so the plan was to call somebody at about seven minutes apart. And at about two in the morning, Kristen wakes me up and she says, I think it's time. I think I'm ready. I just, I'm ready. She's like dressed. She's showered. She's got makeup. She's holding her bag. And I'm like disoriented. And I'm like, are you sure it's time? And she's like, I'm sure it's time. And, and so we, I start getting ready and, and I'm like, oh, by the way, how far apart are your contractions? And she says, two minutes. Did you guys hear it? Two minutes. And I was like, we still have to call someone to come to the house. Your contractions are two minutes. I'm very stressed. Someone comes, watches the kids. We drive. I'm running red lights. I'm looking both ways. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you know I already like to make good time. So when I'm under pressure and trying to make good time, laws become suggestions. So we're looking at red lights. It's two in the morning. No one's on the road. We're rolling through red lights. We're on our way. And so I try to tell this story from my vantage point of how stressful it was to me that she failed to wake me up when she said she was going to wake me up. The problem is Kristen is always quick to point out that once we got to the hospital, I chilled on the couch and she had to push a human out of her body. And somehow that trumps the stress of having to drive to the hospital. And that's kind of what ends up and happens to Joseph in the story. His story is a lot shorter than Mary's. We have a lot less details. We read the entire account and surely that's not all that happened, but, but that's all that we have on record. And I understand why he gets kind of pushed to the side, but I think we have more in common and we relate more to Joseph than perhaps sometimes we realize. Because I wonder if I asked you what the most spiritual act you could engage in is. I wonder what your answer would be. I know for me, for many years, I would have said that the most spiritual act that we can engage in is worship. I was biased because I was a worship leader, but I also realized that biblically and theologically, I do believe that we are people who were created to worship God. And so worship is an extremely important part of our spiritual journey. And so for years, I would have certainly said prayer. I mean, worship. Some of you maybe would say prayer. Some of you would maybe say it's engaging with scripture. Some of you would maybe say it's gathering together as a community of believers, but there is something that precedes all of those things that I think is the most spiritual act we can engage in. And that is the act of choice. Because before you worship, you have to choose to worship. And before you pray, you have to choose to pray. And before you read the scriptures, you have to choose to read the scriptures. And before you surrender your life to God, you have to choose to surrender your life to God. And yet, because we make so many decisions in our lives, we make so many choices, so often we devalue the value of our choices. We don't realize that everything we do comes from the choices that we make. And that is one of the areas that I think we can so closely relate to Joseph. See, the average adult makes 35,000 decisions in a day. 
35,000, most of these are unconscious. These are the decisions to take steps. These are the directions you take to work, every turn you make, every time you change a lane. These are things that you don't really necessarily consider, but you're constantly making decisions. And sometimes when something is kind of happening in the background, we forget how important it is. We forget that it is actually directing our lives. And see, if we really think about the story of Jesus, and we think about Joseph's place in that story, Really, Joseph is the first human who is invited to make Jesus the center of his life by choice. I mean, if you think about it, Mary was told this was going to happen to her. You are with child. This is in motion. You are going to be a part. See, if you think about it, Mary was chosen, but Joseph had to choose. Joseph was the very first person who had to choose to orient his life around Jesus. And in hindsight, it seems like an easy choice. It seems like an easy choice to be involved in the life of the Messiah, to even have any place in that story seems like an easy choice. To to be part of raising the Son of God seems like an easy choice, but we have to put ourselves in his position and realize that in reality, Joseph faced a seemingly impossible choice. And really, it wasn't just one choice, because His choice to say yes to being a part of the birth of Jesus led, as so many choices do, to more choices. It was choice after choice after choice. Is is anyone in here naturally a planner? Anybody in here naturally a planner? Oh, I'm surprised at the number of hands. You just don't want to show it. But when you're naturally a planner, this is kind of the vibe that Joseph was clearly in. Because three times throughout these few numbers of verses, we see that he had a plan that was then derailed that he had a plan that had to be moved. And what Joseph did is Joseph did what we all do. He, he made a plan based on his understanding of the circumstances he was in. He made a plan based on the understanding of the circumstances that he was in. And, and so what we have to realize is how do these decisions, how do these choices we make, how do we make the right choices when we're under pressure? How do we make the right choices when it seems like it's an impossible choice to make? See, so often I think that we think that saying yes to God is like stepping onto an escalator. It's like, okay, I've said yes. Now you take it from here. I've said yes. Now you take me where you want me to go. And yet the truth is that our story is so often like Joseph's story where we say yes, and then we immediately have to make another decision to say yes again. And then we have to make another decision to say yes again. And it's choice after choice after choice. See, Joseph had to say yes and then yes again and yes again. He had to take responsibility for choice after choice. And if you look at verse 19 of Joseph's story, I think that we can kind of see that there is but after but in this story. If you look at it, it begins by saying that Mary was pledged to Joseph to be married, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And then if you jump down to verse 20, it says that uh, Joseph was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So now he has a new plan. He's going to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And then when Joseph woke up from that dream, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took Mary as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And so time and time again, we see that Joseph has a plan, but his plan is derailed. He had a plan to marry Mary, but then he decided, well, I think it's actually time that we part our ways. 
because it's obvious in the beginning that he did not believe her story of being pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. And then an angel of the Lord comes to him and he plans to divorce her quietly, but he decides after the angel comes to him not to divorce her quietly. And then he decides to go through with his original plan to get married to Joseph, but he has no union with her. I guarantee you that after a long engagement, Joseph had made plans to have union with Mary. Union was probably at the top of his list of things he wanted to do after he got married to Mary, but he did not have union with her until the child was born. And somehow through the whole story, Joseph keeps making the right choice. He keeps making the right decision. He keeps walking in the right way. And it's interesting to note that Joseph made the decision to protect Mary before he had even heard from the angel. He made the decision to divorce her quietly initially to protect her image before he even believed her before he even understood her story. And I wonder what compels someone to make a decision to protect someone else in a moment where they're hurting, in a moment where they feel betrayed, in a moment where they feel like they're being lied to, and yet they choose to protect someone. They, they choose to put the other person first, even in the moment where they feel like they're in the right and you're in the wrong. And I think we see the answer in Joseph's story in verse 19. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph was a righteous man. Some translations say faithful to the law. He was a righteous man. It was Joseph's character that helped him make the right choice initially. It was who he was. It was his character. He, he had no word from the Lord. He had no angelic visit at this moment. At this moment, it was simply his character that led him to the right decision. And this is one of those choices that Joseph was making when nobody was looking. This is one of those choices that defines the kind of character that you have. And it's those decisions that you make when no one is watching. It's those decisions that you make when you're not going to get celebrated, when no one's going to pat you on the back. It's those decisions that shape your character. And more importantly, it's those decisions that inform the larger decisions that you will make as you continue on your journey. See, Joseph could have immediately blown up and walked out on Mary. He could have immediately pointed out, you're lying I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm walking out on you. And a lack of character will do that. A lack of character will cause you to overreact out of your emotions, out of your feelings, and walk out on what's best for you. Character is a placeholder. Character holds your place where you're supposed to be when you're tempted to step out of line. But when you're tempted to step out of line because everything within you, your emotions, your feelings, your circumstances tell you to step out of line, it's your character that keeps you in line. See, Joseph, at this point, he did not need an angelic visit and he did not need a word from the Lord to make the right decision in that moment because his character was informing his decision making. And I've been around long enough to see a lot of people who are full of talent, who are full of potential but they end up stepping out of line because of their character. They end up disconnecting themselves from the plan of God because of their character. And we, we have to put an emphasis back on character if we want to be the kind of people who make the choices that lead us in the direction that God wants us to go. We, we have to put our emphasis back on character of being men and women of righteousness following the Lord's way. 
But then the angel comes along to visit Joseph and really kind of gives him the next jolt he needs to make the rest of the decisions that he has. His character helped him to this point. But then in verse 20 and 21, it says, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Notice that last line, because he will save his people from their sins. He gives Joseph the purpose for what he's walking through. He gives Joseph the purpose of what he's walking through. So often, we start out how Joseph started out, making decisions solely based on our circumstances rather than our purpose. But, but, but you have to know your purpose. You have to settle your character and you have to know your purpose. Proverbs 19 verse 21 says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans, but the Lord's purpose prevails. See, it's purpose that will get you through the things you didn't plan. It's purpose that will help you walk through the things you didn't plan. Some of you didn't plan to be having the health issues you're having right now. Some of you didn't plan to be having the financial issues you have right now. Some of you didn't plan for your marriages to fall apart. Some of you didn't plan for your kids to walk out on your family. There's a lot of stuff that we walk through that we didn't plan on. But when you settled your purpose, when you know your purpose, you can walk through circumstances that you didn't plan. And I imagine that there was time after time after time that Joseph questioned the situation that he was in, that he questioned the difficulty of what he was having to walk through, that he questioned the difficulty of what he had to say yes to, of what he chose to say yes to. But, but he had that purpose to hold on to as he walked through. And in those moments where he's saying, why am I walking through this? Why did I say yes to this? Why am I raising this child that, that is not even my own? Because he will save his people from his sins. Why am I running for my life literally because people want this child dead? Because this child will save his people from their sins. See, the angel gave Joseph something to hold on to. He gave him purpose. You have got to know your purpose if you're going to walk through things that you didn't plan. See, Joseph had to sacrifice in order to be a part of the miracle of Jesus' birth. He had to sacrifice to be a part of the miracle of Jesus' birth. And this is what I've learned in life is that you have to choose your sacrifice. You have to choose your sacrifice. See, Joseph sacrificed to be a part of the miracle, but his alternative was to sacrifice his place in the miracle. And so often that's true for us. We have to choose to either sacrifice in order to be a part of the miracle or we sacrifice our place in it. If Joseph's character had not sustained him enough to stay in that uncomfortable moment, if the purpose that that angel gave to Joseph did not sustain him to stay in that moment, Joseph could have walked out on being a part of the greatest miracle in human history. He could have walked out on the plan that God had for his life, but Joseph was a part of the greatest miracle because he made the choice to be present. He made the choice to make Jesus the center of his life. And I wonder for us today, where are our choices leading us? 
Where are the choices that you're making leading you? Where are the choices that you're making leading your family? Because we see this theme of choice all throughout Scripture. There's this moment in Scripture where the prophet says to the people, see, today, God is saying, today, I set before you life and death. Now choose life. I set before you life and death, now choose life. I always wondered, if you're going to set before me life and death, why don't you just give me life? Why do I have to choose life? I obviously don't want death. Why do I have to choose life? And it's because God, his character, his nature, God is love. And love cannot exist without choice. You you cannot be forced to love. And so because he loves us, he gives us choice. And I think so often we think, well, why doesn't he give us two better choices? Why does it have to be life and death? I mean, some translations say life, death, and destruction. Nobody wants death and destruction. But what God is actually saying is, I've set before you life with me, or I've set before you life without me, which will lead your life to death and destruction. I'm not, I'm not giving you death and destruction. I'm giving you life, and without me, it will be death and destruction. And he's imploring us, choose life, choose me, choose love, choose to put Jesus at the center of your life. But so often we don't choose to put Jesus at the center of our life. So often we choose to put everything else at the center of our life, our own convenience, our own circumstances, our own, whatever we want, we put that at the center of our lives. But if we want to be present for the miracles that God has for our lives, we have to put Jesus at the center of our lives. We have to make Jesus the center of our lives. And this is the question that I would ask us this morning as as we get closer and closer to this Christmas season is right now, is Jesus truly the center of your life? I'm not, even, I'm not even asking you if you've surrendered your life to Christ because if we're being really honest, sometimes we surrender our lives to Jesus, but then we don't live as though he's the center of our lives. So if you're sitting in here today and you're saying, no, I've accepted Jesus as my savior. I've surrendered my life to him. I don't have to, I can kind of tune this out because I've already made that decision. No, I'm not asking you if you've made him your savior. I'm asking you if he's at the center of your life. I'm asking you if every choice that you make is filtered through Jesus being at the center of your life or are the choices that you make centered around what you want? Because we see time and time again through Joseph's story that what he wanted didn't line up with the purpose that God had for him. He had to continually make the choice to align his life. He had to continue to recalibrate, continue to make the choice to put Jesus at the center of his life. And this is what we remember at Christmas. This is what we remember this time of year, is that God sent his son so that we could have life. That God sent his son so that our lives don't have to lead to death, so that our lives don't have to lead to destruction, but so that we could have life. But it's a choice. He doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't force us to choose him. We make the choice. And this is not a one-time choice. This is daily a choice that we make. Where are our choices leading us? Where are our choices leading our families? I think it's interesting that when you go through the scripture, you know, we, we hear the Christmas story and 
You've probably seen it in movies. You've seen it portrayed in shows and pageants and whatever's going on this time of year where they're kind of telling the Christmas story. But as far as the scripture is concerned, we have no recorded words of Joseph. We have no words that Joseph spoke. We, we know that they go to the inn and there's no room. We know that an angel comes to Joseph. We never have his response. We never see what he says. We can only judge Joseph's life by the choice that he made. We can only judge Joseph's life by the things that he did. And I wonder what would happen if the same was true for you and me. I wonder if long after we're dead and gone, if there were no written words, if nobody could remember a thing that we said, would it be evident that we followed Christ by the choices that we made? Would it be evident that we followed Christ by the things that we did? Because I, I, can, I can tell you, you, you can tweet the most inspiring things daily for everybody to know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, if you are not making the choices to back the things up that you're saying, none of it matters. If you're not making the choices to back up the things that you're saying, none of it will last. You might inspire somebody in a moment, but your, your, your lasting impact will not last unless you actually make the choice and the decision to put Jesus at the center of your life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?